0: hi everyone this is Catherine friend for the stem equity network thank you for joining me once again for our podcast series today we're very very fortunate to have a fabulous stem leader her name is emma jones and she is the founder for this social impact business called Project F, aiming to improve the gender balance in technology teams and leadership. Emma's career has seen her live and work in the UK, US and for the last decade in Australia. She centred her career around the IT and technology sector and since arriving in Sydney is also in digital technology. She is an unapologetic feminist, accidental albeit, but she is a feminist, She's certainly on a mission to change the world of technology with Project Desk's Gender Balance Accreditation Program, Program 5050. She's also the founder of a not-for-profit tech community called Men Championing Change. Uh, She is a strategist, mentor, gender equity advocate, and a busy mother of four. Emma, thanks for joining us.
1: You're very welcome. Thank you for having me.
0: You're welcome. So just let's start from the beginning, Emma. How did you get into technology?
1: Well, I've been working in technology telecommunications for probably 12 years, I think before I came to Australia. So I've been in it for a long time. And I was working in executive search in telco and moved here and it kind of broadened out into the world of digital technology and design. And that was probably about 2011. And then I ended up working for a software company and um, helping them to expand globally at the time, including the software team, setting up a team in Vietnam and so on. And that's where I really got into what I'm doing now, which was to tackle the problems that I was seeing firsthand as a woman in HR trying to grow this team.
0: Yeah, of course. Can I ask then, before you got there, what got you into technology? I mean, what was the thing that really kind of piqued your interest there? Because obviously there's less women or the men going into technology. What was your motivation to get into? I think,
1: well, at the time when I actually transitioned from executive search into business, so working on the business side of things, and I did it back in the UK years ago, it was the change. It was the rapid change that was going on. It was this, in telecommunications world, it was going from this non-customer, centric service into something that was going to be designed around people and that was a massive change at the time but shooting forward to the time that I've been here and going company side instead of services side it was very much just the speed of growth and change within tech so watching these product companies in Australia in particular doesn't have a lot of product companies most of them tend to be in the US so we don't have very many but suddenly it was a bit of a hotbed of investment and I was working in startup world back in the 2013 14 ish and that was really exciting the startup ecosystem in Australia is exciting it's fast moving there's a lot of great innovation that's happening here and there was a huge amount of investment that's why they started to call it Silicon Beach you know and um watching Atlassian and some of the other cool technology companies springing up was just a it was a great place to be so that's that was really my motivator was just that you know I, I thought yeah this is a good place to be this is a place to keep
0: learning and growing Yeah, people who are innovators join innovative companies. I can see that. Yeah, Yeah, something like that. (laughs) You're in the IT space or you're in the technology space. What was your motivator to move towards your own company?
1: This was where I was saying, you know, working in a a software company that was fast growth at the time, but I started to really get a sense of what was wrong. I started at this company on on the same day as their first female engineer and they had about 24 engineers at the time, software engineers. And that struck me as being a bit odd and I hadn't really recognised that problem beforehand. And then I started to get involved as I was head of talent and growing this talent capability and seeing just how difficult it was and how much resistance there was to acknowledge that there was even a problem There were some people in the company who were really up for seeing improvement and change. Some of the guys were like, you know, we we want more women. And then there were others who were like, yeah, don't see gender. Don't see it as a problem. The best person has to get the job and that old kind of, you know, nonsense. And and the more I got into looking at it and trying to change it, the more I realized how blooming hard it was. And that's really when I recognized that I thought, okay, after this, when I finished what I need to do here, I'm going to go and do something that's going to tackle this problem. And when I left that company, that's when I started up Men Championing Change, the tech group, which is a not-for-profit community group. But at the same time as doing that, I started up my own consulting business called Future of Work. And I was going to other companies to try and help them with their systems and processes. And again, I was seeing the same thing in every single place I went. They'd say, yeah, 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 we want to improve the representation of women in our tech teams? Can you just sort it out? And they just assumed it was a recruitment problem. Mm-hmm. And it was that that led me to the frustrations that I had with trying to actually get people in HR, the positions where they had it on their roadmap, to, their strategic roadmap included diversity and inclusion, yet there was a, almost a refusal to do the work required to tackle the problem for technology teams.
0: So what you're saying then is that whilst companies had it on their agenda, they really weren't tackling it. I mean, you know, it was there as a fluffy, yeah. kind of, this is what we'd like to do, but Service. the best person for the job is not a female, then we're not going to do anything about it. It was
1: more about we want to be seen to be doing something about it. They assumed that the problem was about the pipeline, that there's not enough girls or women going into tech and therefore there's not enough women out there. But It's a zero-sum game. You, know, you can't fix it. So let's just make us really look like we're doing a lot in diversity and inclusion. So let's get badges that endorse us as employers of choice or whatever let's put some numbers up let's say we have x percentage of women in leadership or whatever most of them aren't even true you know <laughs> honestly honestly I've been to companies that have put 50 50 leadership team you know male and female and you go there and it's not it's like there's one woman on the leadership team but they're quoting numbers from when they were a tiny company and they just left them there mm. conveniently and it's not true so I wanted to you know remove the smoke and mirrors I got to a point of real frustration with this and thought why are we here why is this problem still still? still persisting and this is the thing is I could see why the problem was persisting and it was because we were enablers people and culture teams had become enablers and that really you know saddened me but it was like that nemesis you know it's like I want to stop people endorsing companies for ticking boxes because that doesn't solve the problem it makes it worse it's enabling them to continue the behavior of avoiding and denying the true problems, because that means they actually have to do the work to change the systems and to change the processes. And that's not something they necessarily wanted to face up to doing because it's
0: bloody hard. Of course. What exactly were some of the things that you were finding in your research or the things that were really frustrating you? What were the issues that you're tackling or that you're identifying as being some of the stuff that were blindsided
1: by these companies? Well, they assumed that it was all about parenting. So companies would kind of window dress and make these places look great for mothers so let's make our place super family friendly and that's us done we've ticked boxes and we look great we look like we're you know female friendly so i had this hunch i did a survey based on this hunch that not hunch but it was my hypothesis well, i suppose that women in technology teams have a very different experience of the world of work than women even in a tech company you work in finance or HR or marketing in those companies, you don't have the same experience of a woman sitting in an engineering team in a tech company because they're not minorities. The environments in technology are created for frat house boys. They've got you know the Nintendo and beanbags and ping pong tables and craft beer and whiskey nights and nonsense like that. So the experience of these women was going to be different. And so I did this survey to find out what their priority list was. To see how different it was. And I sent out this survey that I'd written on the back of a fag packet, which (laughs) in hindsight, I wish I'd spent more time on it. But I thought, okay, if I can get 500 women in six months to reply to this thing, great. And in three days, I had over 1,000 responses. And I ended up with 1,300 responses. So this is what we found from doing this was that women's priority lists were different. So women in technology roles, and I only sent it and asked for responses from women who were working in engineering, data science, security engineering, whatever, but not just in a tech company doing something else. And so their number one priority, where in other surveys, it had always been parental leave. The number one priority was pay equity. Hmm. Way ahead of the rest. Mm -hmm. And when you consider that women in technologies, that the gender pay gap in technology is 7% higher than it is in the national average, that kind of makes sense. What we don't do is address that. We harp on with all the baby stuff. And not that that's not important, it wasn't in the top five of this survey. It was in there, but it wasn't even in the top five. Mm -hmm. And it's because these other things are prevalent in these women's lives their experience of the world of work is different so we don't look at making pay transparent and making it super clear that we're surfacing anomalies and dealing with them immediately we don't do that in tech so that's why that priority is there the second one was the ability to progress your career so that was their next priority how can i see that i've got a path here and we know why that is the third one was a surprise to me It was the one that I kind of threw in there thinking, how do I word this? Again, it was my hypothesis that these environments were not particularly welcoming for women. They walk in and they don't feel like they belong there because the environment is, you know, scruffy, wires everywhere, very basic, and it's just got toys and games. And it's just, it's not a welcoming, female-friendly environment. And that was their third priority. And then when I researched into where it was different, I found that You know all the co-working spaces that have sprung up in the last 10 years or less? We've had this huge number of them spring up, super successful. And I work in one in Sydney, actually, when I'm at work. And they recognise that 44% of the residents of those are women. And cleverly, they've designed them to appeal to everybody, Uh unlike your technology offices and environments. So they have community program stuff going on that you can sign up to. They have soft furnishings. They have sofas and wall art, lots of plants, lots of natural light. That's what they're like. And because they're appealing to the people that they know are almost half their residents. And you go, yeah, that kind of makes sense. You draw a complete contrast to technology where it's just a bunch of guys with beer pong on Friday night. That's how it feels when you walk in these places and we try and get our women to be more like men in order to survive in them. The research showed me that they really are stark different with designing these environments. And then we wonder why women don't apply to our ads when all our adverts are of the guys, you know, standing around playing pool or whatever. <laughs> Absolutely. So
0: tell me about the systems then. Did you find any issues within the systems of these technology companies that were possibly biased against women progressing? I mean, you mentioned, you know, there was a a bit of an issue with career progression. Is that a systemic thing?
1: It is. So one of the things that we've been finding is that companies, quite often in technology and modern companies today, in tech, we've kind of created this cool fun social environment and we want it to be very social and so everybody can feel relaxed we might have graffiti on the walls and you know we've got lots of social activities and we might have regular lunches and lunch and learns or whatever you bring your dogs in and we have chefs and coffee and rosé untap and all that kind of stuff so we've created these very social environments and that can really translate into in and out groups so if you remember if you've ever watched friends the TV show yeah. there was the one where, where Rachel smokes which is the perfect example of what I'm talking about where everybody goes out for a smoke and she misses out on all these great trips and these meetings and these parties and whatever so she's not in the in group so she suddenly starts taking up smoking so that she can go out there and be part of it and it works mm-hmm. So it's like that. A lot of groups are formed and relationships are formed with ping pong and foosball and craft beer nights. Um, You know, in my old company, my boss used to have his one to ones with the guys in my team. I was um, there was only two girls and he used to have the meetings with the guys at the pool table, literally at the pool table or they'd go over to the pub across the road.
0: So basically, if they're not willing to act like one of the boys, then they were, in a sense, ostracized from the group.
1: Well, I like pool, but not at work. I like pool when I go to a pub with a friend or something like that occasionally, but it's not something that I feel the need to go and do. So, yeah, so that's one of the things that we found was that these social groups have you know, created an environment that then obviously creeps into these groups where women are not part of them. So the language that in reviews you can see is more personal and sociable amongst men than it is with women. Um, So they tend to then be judged slightly differently. So these are the things that are really hard to pinpoint if you don't do the proper analysis. You need to have expert analysis to find this sort of stuff. So you wouldn't expect a company to be able to look into their own systems and find that. And that's what we do. Mm-hmm. so we go into that level of detail and really do the proper analysis on how these systems are affecting decisions and outcomes and when it comes to you know performance reviews promotion opportunity these are the things the decisions that get affected by that kind of unconscious bias
0: yeah i understand so you're now working in businesses finding out these systemic issues and then presenting it to these businesses I've got to ask you how are they finding that how do they take it is it positive is it negative what's the feedback
1: It's actually, so far, it's it's been really positive, actually. Funnily enough, we have a free gender-balanced health check on the website that takes six minutes to do, and we get quite a few of those through. And what we've found with that is that when companies first look at it, it's quite a high touch, but it takes their data of, you know, the composition of their teams and some of their programs and systems and policies and things, and we present it back to them with a, a bunch of data points that shows them how they stack up, if you like that's where you find out whether a company is going to be open to this kind of self reflection if they're open when they read that they say we need to talk about this more we need to find out you know what's next how can we change this then by the time you get to actually doing the analysis you know on their own systems to this degree they're actually up for it and open okay. and they want to do it because we also ask uh, in order to be eligible your company has to have either the co-founder a founder or a ceo that level of executive sponsorship. We need somebody to be the executive sponsor. And in order to get that, it makes it quite tricky. You know, it's not like every company is going to be up for doing something like this. Mm -hmm. Um, By the time you've gotten to that point, they want the change and they're open to it. And one of the things we say when we go into the first meeting is, do not sugarcoat anything. You will not get the benefit of this program if you cover anything up or try and make it look better than it is. Cause the tendency, especially in people in culture, you know, most things are almost like a, an employer branding exercise and tech is the problem child. So they may have created great balance in the whole company. Like when the, you'll hear the companies say, no, oh, we're 50, 50, when we have high inclusion scores of like 80% or whatever. But the reality is, is that when you actually take tech, it might even be sales and tech but at the very minimum tech will be skewing those numbers (laughs) dramatically. Mm. So it will be the problem child and nobody really wants to talk about the dysfunctional child in the family. (laughs) And so, so it's the one that you kind of want to hide. So when it comes to opening up and going, here's our bad stuff, here's our dirty laundry, they have to be really open to doing that. So that's what we say is that, you know, like, don't sugarcoat it don't window dress this is the time to just be really open and then we can really see pinpoint where you need to focus where the issues are
0: yeah and so with the businesses that you're working with at the moment are you finding there's certain areas that seem to be more prevalent in certain businesses or what are the main issues really with these tech
1: industries So the main issues are some of the processes that are not as tight as they could be. At the moment, I'm not working with any big enterprises. When we get to that point of working with that size of company, I think it's going to be quite different. So the companies we're working with now are mid-sized companies who have grown up from startup stage. And what happens with that quite often in technology is you get a handful of people at the beginning and they kind of land grab for talent. They'll go, let's get an engineer to do this, we'll hire a developer to do that. And they're people that are close to to them and you know that may trust them or whatever and they're usually guys because it's you know you have a couple of guys founders women founders are you know few and far between in technology at the moment and so you get this small group of guys and before you know it in a blink of an eye they're 50 people and they've got like two women and they're both in admin or something hmm. you know and it's hard to reverse so actually we're at the moment just creating a startup toolkit for tech startups which will be free to give them all the basics and they get the accreditation but as a startup until they get to a certain point but they have to do the work in order to get the accreditation there are no free passes and badges here Hmm. for not doing the work they are held to account to do it um so they have to implement the stuff that we give them which is all the policies and the processes and stuff so that you know they can grow in a diverse workforce but what happens currently in these companies that we're seeing is that they've grown up quite often without the structure. And without the structure, fine when you're 30 people, but when you get to two, three, four, five hundred 500 plus, it's not possible to work without that level of structure because all this bias creeps in at every turn and has these outcomes. And that's why you see most of them have got anything between 10 and 20% of their technology teams will be women, that's all.
0: So when you're implementing these changes, are you finding much resistance to the change? Not from the head, because I feel that these companies are already on board with the head, but maybe middle middle and lower management and other areas. How is the implementation happening?
1: It depends on the size of the company. So the bigger they are, the harder it is. The change that's required will be structural. A lot of it is structural. So these things don't happen overnight. And that's why we ask for a founder or a CEO to be the executive sponsor, because that drives accountability. Like with any major change program, you need an executive sponsor. Mm -hmm. And it makes sure that whatever you do is sustainable. So what we do is we provide a roadmap and the roadmap gives them all the high impact areas that require change. But then each one of those will then break down into milestones and we agree the milestones with them. And that's where they get the second part of the accreditation. And then we catch up with them quarterly to check progress against it. So if it's, for example, change to your process of performance review, that could be quite a big piece of work in itself. To design a new performance review process then you've got to train all your leaders to do it then you've got to so you can see that piece of work has to be broken down so we'll work with the company to get them to tell us right well this is how we're going to do it in these milestones and this is what we'll agree to have done by you know say six months time this is where we'll be so you know none of these things are overnight it's a long-term play and these companies are the progressive ones that are the believers and they know that this is going to be better for them in the long term and it's going to give them you know gender balance maturity if you like you know on a diversity maturity scale it's a process of working up that scale
0: but we've got to start somewhere right and so very similar to everything that's happening at the moment you know the ones that are taking on these progressive ideas and things they're going to be the leaders essentially and the rest well hopefully create a movement towards the change that we need in our leadership positions. I think we've gone through most of the systems and most of the bindings that you've discovered in working with these businesses. Where do you see your company heading now? I mean, what would you like to create?
1: I honestly believe that we have a responsibility to change this globally and to tackle it on a global scale. So the plan is to create a movement. I believe that there are a lot of companies now, more than ever before, who recognise the benefit of having gender diversity in technology and building technology for a diverse world with a reflection of that and that there are so many business benefits to it, as well as obviously moving towards equality, that I think we have to tackle it as a global problem that it is. So I would like to see that Project F is going to scale as quickly as we possibly can, become more digitised in our service so that we're able to scale globally. And So that's the stuff that we're working on at the moment is making the business scalable and digitising whatever can be digitised to ensure that we still have the right impact.
0: Yeah. Does that involve the accreditation and the milestones that you need to be hitting? Yeah.
1: Yeah, so we need to be able to digitise the ability for companies to self-serve to some degree on their journey. We currently do a data collection, but they will have to input the data. We have to make sure that it's the right data and that we have the ability to do the analytics on that data and then give them the roadmap in a way that they can digest and actually distribute through the business to make sure that, you know, they're actually focusing on the right things. So that's the work that has to be done. We're currently, you know, obviously doing it, but it's a bit labour intensive, a bit largely manual in a lot of places. So we need to digitise that, but that's the biggest challenge for Project Effort at the moment.
0: Mm-hmm. And in doing so then, I mean, what are the outcomes are you finding with these businesses that you're working with?
1: Well, it's very early days at the moment to be honest so the outcomes will probably be seen in 12 months or so we'll start to see some quite measurable uplift in retention of their women in technology and balancing out of pay levels because pay at the moment is you know if you take the measurement of pay where you take the average of all your men and the average of all your women right now there's a big gap because the majority of men are going to be in leadership roles compared to women So what we want to see is that starting to level up over the next 12 months plus because more women are making it through into leadership. Mm -hmm. So, you know, there's a lot of things like, you know, we're recommending emerging leadership programs for women to accelerate that progress. And we help them with pipelining talent for senior level roles, that kind of thing. So that's what we'd like to see. We'd like to see, obviously, some accelerated retention, helping leaders to become able to manage more diverse teams and have those skills, which we see often they're not provided. These leaders in technology don't necessarily have the toolkit to manage a flexible workforce and a diverse workforce. Mm -hmm. So they do the best with what they've got. And they're not necessarily given the time to do a really great job of that. Their outcomes they're measured on are not... The diversity of their team they're measured on technical output and these are the things that you know over time will start to shift it's not an overnight it's a it's going to be a bit of a slow burn I think.
0: I mean that it's something that is brought up quite a lot in these kind of discussions is that you know, how do we make sure that there is enough women in the pipeline to be able to be put through to these leadership positions because, quite frankly, nobody wants, nobody, neither the females or the men, want anybody in that position that is not well and truly going to own the position. No female wants to be put in a position where she's just a token female and no man really wants to hire somebody just based on gender alone. So how are you finding that we can plug that gap where there's this decent pool of women who can kind of step up and be in leadership positions
1: it's a great question and and I'm glad you asked it because I think the tendency is always to focus on top of funnel is always to focus on the pipeline and the talent pool uh, and the thin talent pool and use that quite consistently using that as that's why we don't have very many women in our company Okay, so when people say this to me, when I hear CTOs or CIOs or CEOs saying, yeah, but, you know, if more women applied to our jobs, we'd hire them. I say, why do you think there aren't more women there? And then suddenly there's this, well, girls don't go into STEM. Okay, so why don't girls go into STEM? Let's just keep going with the whys. And then eventually you do get to it. And the reality is that if you're a boy coming through you know, your school years, And you're looking up at the people that are inspiring you, you can see lots of technology leaders and you can see yourself in them. Steve Jobs, Elon Musk, Mark Zuckerberg, Bill Gates. Oh my God, the list goes on. There are so many, but girls, not so much. They cannot see themselves. They can't see a career path. So why would they? They look up and they see a sea of men running these technology companies. So they don't see it as a place for them until we change that until we get more women into leadership we're not giving these girls a career path so my answer is to any of those questions and any of those objections about a thin talent pool is that the only way to solve that talent pool is to solve the holes in your bucket because it doesn't matter how many women you have there and you keep pouring them in if they're all going to leave you're never going to solve the problem So once you've solved that, you've removed all these derailers and it becomes this environment where women can go and feel they belong and can progress their careers in the same way that men can, then you'll get more women in leadership and you'll get more girls looking up and seeing themselves and going, okay, Okay, that could be me. mm
0: -hmm. Well, then can we...
1: Emma, I'd really like to hear your
0: position on things that you have found companies can take on to help feed that funnel and to help maintain these women in technology and to help stop them leaving these positions. Yes. Because really, I mean, nobody wants people with seven, eight, ten years' experience leaving the industry. not only in technology, it's in science, in, it's in engineering, it's in maths. Basically, in every STEM profession, we see this massive loss of talent mid-career where these women are incredibly talented but they just can't seem to retain them in these industries. So what are some of your points that
1: we can take on? The biggest one for me, Catherine, is to get your CEOs, your leaders, to do the work or to lead the work. So there's a couple of things really. That's the main one because if your leaders are genuine and they care and they believe that it's the right thing to do for the business and they're prepared to make change, then people will follow. Stop leaving it to HR. Hmm. Stop blaming recruitment. It's not their problem to solve. It's an everyone problem to solve. And that's why it comes from the leader. So they have to treat it as their next burning platform. Because if they don't, it won't ever get fixed. And for HR and people and culture to stop window dressing. You know, I've got lots of stop. Hmm. Stop doing this. And stop blaming HR. Stop making diversity and inclusion an HR problem to solve. And stop blaming recruitment and the pipeline. Start looking to your leaders and getting your leaders to be the champions. That's the best and biggest thing you can do to ensure success of changing this. The companies who have started to be progressive and really make changes are the ones who get that. And they see that they have to be the leaders of this change.
0: Absolutely. And so this brings
1: us to your group,
0: Males Championing Change. Men Championing Change. Men Championing
1: Change. <laughs> yes. yes. Male Champions of Change is another group that is way bigger than ours. It's And it's uh, run by Liz Broderick. And it was the inspiration for Men Championing Change. This is like a tech version at grassroots level. And with the same charter, but for tech.
0: But so this is definitely addressing that issue, isn't it? So the men it in your is. group are championing change for greater quality in technology. Exactly that. So it, I
1: love it. I absolutely love this group of people that has formed. We've got 800-odd members now, and it's Sydney and Melbourne, and I'd love to see it go across the whole of the country and beyond at some point. You know, it's a your typical meet-up group in technology, of which there are lots, and our meet-up in community in general in Sydney certainly is super active in tech, I love it. You know, People really do love going out and supporting each other if they care about something. And what happens is these guys, most of them are technology leaders, so CTOs, VPs of engineering, heads of data, heads of product, whatever. Lots of them, they come together on a regular basis every other month and hack these problems. And the reason I started this was because I realized from my experience as a woman in HR, that I couldn't get people to listen to me and to make the change. If the CTO told his team, this is what we're doing, they'd buy it. If it was me, they'd go, no, why do we need to do that? And I also read a book called Seven Steps to Leading a Gender Balanced Business. And that had this wonderful piece in there, which was a light bulb moment for me that said, focus on the majority if you want change. And I thought, well, the majority in tech are men. So why is it always women leading the charge Uh and trying to push the proverbial uphill? So when I started this, I started going to these leaders and saying, would you talk on this topic at the next event? You know, it'd be somebody that was a well-known profile in the tech community. So a CTO or head of engineering, people I knew and I'd seen speak at something, And they say, oh, I don't know about that topic, though. We're not doing it at our company. And I say, it doesn't matter. You're not talking on behalf of your company. You're talking on behalf of you. And I will give you everything you need. I'll give you all the data, everything. You just make the deck and present it. And they go, Okay, I can do that. And so these were people I'd identified who were champions, if you like, of gender equality and all of that in tech. And so when they would come and do the talk, by the time they would got there, they'd done their research to build the deck, to make it their own. And by then they were believers. They'd learned so much from just the research to do the deck that they'd stand up there with their own personal passion and say, you have to do this, people. You know, what I've learned through, you know, researching for this talk today is something you need to learn. And of course, everybody would listen and go, yeah, and then we'd have all these breakout groups and you know, everyone would leave with actionable things they could take back to their environment. And there were companies who experienced real systemic change through what their leaders were bringing back to them. So it's been an absolute joy to watch.
0: I think that was just an ingenious approach because it's coming from the top,
1: right? Exactly. These leaders are doing it. And, you know, the people who come back time and time again, because they're watching these leaders and, you know, the software engineers and people in tech themselves, they're coming in and going, I want to be like him. You know, he's right. You know, I respect him for who he is in technology and what he does and how he thinks and all the rest of it. So yeah, I'm going to do that too.
0: Emma, if you don't mind, I'm going to leave it there because that is an yeah. excellent place to leave it on. Thank you so much for all your work on gender inequality. I mean, I support it 100% and I think you're doing a great job. Yeah, thanks for joining the STEM Equity Network and uh, we'd love to have you on board as part of our crew. <laughs> Maybe we could work Absolutely. with project guests sometime soon.
1: I hope so and thanks for having me, Catherine. Thank you. Thank you.